The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. Welcome, church. As most of you probably know, Pastor Brian is in the Carolinas celebrating a birthday with his family. He will be back next week to preach the Easter message. But today we're going to be in the New Testament, in the book of Mark, chapter 11, and we're going to concentrate in uh, the verses 1 through 11. Let's pray. Father, you say that all Scripture is breathed out by you, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so that we would be prepared and equipped for every good work. Lord, we come to you today as a people unified in our belief that You created the universe and everything in it. That You sent Your Son to earth. He was crucified. He rose again. Your Word tells us and we believe that Jesus is the only way to the forgiveness of our sins and the only way to eternal life. And that one day He will return and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Lord, we submit ourselves to You and Your Word We ask that You teach us, You search us, You correct us, You train us in righteousness, Lord. Prepare us for every good work in Your name and strengthen us and use us in Your will for Your purpose. Lord, help us to understand Your Word so well that we can apply it correctly to our lives. We can teach it and explain it to other people as you bring them into our lives. And we apply it so well that we live lives that that honor you, that serve you, and allow you to use us to do great things in your name. Thank you that we have the great and wonderful honor to be called your children. May we always be refreshed and joyful in that knowledge that you are our Father. Amen. All right, so as I said, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. So let's read God's Word. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of His disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of this, and will send it back immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in a street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them, what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and He sat on it. 
And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread, spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king, coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So if you've been to church for several years, you've probably heard this message, read this passage, because it's a very familiar passage for Palm Sunday. But whether you've heard it many, many times or this is your first time, I pray that uh, God will guide you to store up His Word in your heart and you would see it from a different angle today. And if you're not a believer, I hope you can see the kind of love our Father has for us so that we can be called His children. As Amanda said in the announcements, this is called Palm Sunday. And it's called Palm Sunday because the passage we're talking about and what I just read, some of the people took palm trees, palm leaves, palm branches, and put them out in front of, uh, put them out in front of uh, Jesus as he was going along the way to Jerusalem. Palm Sunday is the day that followers of Jesus celebrate his entry into the holy city or to, to Jerusalem. It's also the beginning of Jesus' last week of his earthly life. It's commonly referred to as Passion Week or Holy Week. Passion Week begins with this passage, Jesus entering into Jerusalem, and it comes to an end on Resurrection Sunday or Easter. It's called Passion Week because Jesus had a great passion to go to the cross and pay for our sins. This week's very important in the Bible. We know that because of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them spend a good amount of the entire book on this week. Roughly half of John's Gospel is dedicated to the last week of Jesus' life. Roughly a third of Mark is about the last week of Jesus' life. It's an important week, and our passage starts at the beginning of that week. Now, there's four Gospels, and there's four accounts, and there's some slight differences. Critics of the Bible would say, you got four people that all witnessed the same thing. They were friends. They lived around each other. They probably talked to each other before they wrote this, and they can't even get the story straight. Well, here's what i got to say about that. Sounds like Forrest Gump, doesn't it? Wasn't meant to. It just came out. So I was in high school. I just graduated from high school within a year or two. I was going to a community college and working at a bank. On the Friday night before Halloween, three people walked into the bank, and they had costumes on. That wasn't strange. Probably all day long we saw people walking in with costumes. The difference was these three people had guns. They spoke in a very loud voice. They gave specific instructions. And they wanted us to follow those instructions quickly. 
Now, there were six people that were working that night. And after the whole thing was over, each one of us had to meet with the county police officer and the state police officer and the FBI. And we had to give our account. And they were quick to separate us. They put us in different rooms so we couldn't collaborate our stories. Now, these six people had worked together five, six days a week for the last couple of years. Worked in the same building, did the same thing, knew each other. We all knew that the bank was robbed. That was obvious. But some people saw three people walk in that door. Some people saw two. When you describe the mask they had on and the clothing they had on, we were pretty different. And when you got down to the minute details of how long were they in there and those things, we were wildly different. Even after hearing everyone's story later on, months later, we still stuck to our own stories because this is what I saw. They were different from each other. Not grand, but slightly different. What we remembered was based on many, many things. Whatever we were thinking when it happened. Where we were supposed to be that night. How tired we were. Our life experiences about what made us fearful. What caused anxiety for us. They all had an impact on what we observed. It depended on where we were standing and what view we had of when they walked in the door as to what we saw and what they were wearing. I'm glad that there's four Gospels that tell a story about this and that they're slightly different. Some people say the Bible's fiction, and this just goes to tell me that it's not. It's one of the ways. Because if I was going to make up a story a whodunit murder mystery, everything, once you got to the end, would corroborate the conclusion. You would go back and say, oh, I missed that clue, I missed that clue. Oh, I saw that one. Oh, I didn't see that. Everything would work and everything would point to the conclusion. Nothing would be amiss. I don't think anything's amiss with these four Gospels and this particular event. While you can find some differences in the accounts of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, one has a little bit more information about this, one doesn't talk about that, neither one of them discredit the other. And so when the police put together those six people's account of what happened, they had a better picture of what actually happened than any one of these six people could have given them. Another way to look at this was we had Carol and Amanda, Anna, and Christy up here singing. And if we'd have given each one of them a song and they'd have sung it by themselves, they would have done well. We would have understood the song. We would have understood the words. We'd have been able to sing along. But if you put all four of them together and they sing different parts and different harmonies, it adds a depth to the song that you don't get with one person. I think the Gospels are like that. The four of them together create a fuller understanding of Jesus' life on earth. Sometimes it's two Gospels describing an event. Sometimes it's three. 
In this case, it's four. And just like the singers complement each other, as they sing, the four Gospels complement each other, and they don't contradict each other. It's important that we understand where we're at in the life of Jesus. So Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was headed there for the Passover. If you're unfamiliar with the Passover, the Passover is a Jewish festival celebrating the Jewish people's freedom from slavery from Egypt. It's described in the books of Exodus, and God commanded that this Passover feast be celebrated. It was a feast celebrating what God had done. Now, going to Passover wasn't new for Jesus. His parents took him there. And one of the early events recorded in Jesus' earthly ministry was him going to the temple for Passover. He went there and he taught. But this year was different. This year was quite different. This year, right before he got there, he predicted his own death three times. In the book of Mark, chapters 8, 9, and 10, he predicts his own death. If you ever wondered whether Jesus knew what was awaiting him in Jerusalem, we're going to find out. In Mark chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus was talking and he said, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. He knew exactly what waited him in Jerusalem. Later on in this week, Matthew 26 tells us that he told them, as you know, the Passover is in two days. And the Son of Man will be handed over and crucified. He knew exactly how he was going to die. And yet, he kept walking. He kept walking to the cross for you and me. And he knew why he was going to die. Continuing on in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, it says, For the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. That's amazing that Jesus knew what He was up against, knew what He was walking to. And the man kept walking. Jesus, perfect, without sin, he continued walking to the cross, understanding exactly what waited him, exactly what was going to happen, because he was doing it in obedience to the Father. Because he had a great passion for us and for his Father's people. The disciples, on the other hand, didn't really understand what was going on and what Jesus was saying. Jesus, in Luke, predicted his death the third time, and said he would rise again. And in the very next verse, Luke 18.34, it says, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden 
from them and they did not know what he was talking about. Now, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem from Jericho, and along the way, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He was still teaching, he was still performing miracles. But Lazarus was dead and buried. He was in the tomb for four days, the Bible says. People were mourning the loss of Lazarus because he was gone. Jesus, the shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept, and he was talking about Lazarus. That was his friend. It's amazing that in the midst of him walking towards his own death, horrible death, he had time to love his friend. He cared for other people in this process. Well, Jesus went to the tomb and he called Lazarus and he said, Come out! And Lazarus came out. He continued to heal people along the way to Jerusalem. One of them was a blind man called Bartimaeus. Well, the religious leaders didn't like this because more people were starting to follow Jesus. They thought, man, our Passover is getting ready to happen. And look at all these people going to Him. They're believing in Him. That's not good. He's going to take away from our own Passover celebration, our time. They were hoping that Jesus would just not become a big issue before Passover was done and interrupt the feast of Passover. They were hoping he wouldn't become an issue at all and he would just go away. So to set the theme, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he's becoming a bigger and bigger problem because more and more people are starting to follow him. And the crowd around him was getting too large to ignore. I was trying to think of how to try and put that in real life that we would understand so imagine you're, you've got this big vacation, like it's a big vacation. You've been planning it for a long time. You're really, really looking forward to this vacation. You've got all your plans. You've got your place picked out, where you're staying. You know, a list of things that you want to do when you get there. The weather's going to be good. Man, you're finishing up at work and you're putting your out-of-office messages in. You've got your voicemail changed to call these people. Your house is clean. It's set up. Your refrigerator won't grow science projects while you're gone. The grass is cut. The car is ready to go. Your mail's taken care of. Your pets are taken care of. Your bags are packed and checked. Man, I'm ready. You're officially ready. Nothing's going to stop me now. You're relaxed. You're excited. This is going to be amazing. I need this. And then on the first day of your vacation... Work calls, major problem, crisis, and you've got to be involved in it. And so for the next several days, you're going to be on the phone or on your laptop trying to solve these things, and your vacation is slipping away from you. Or maybe your neighbor calls and says, man, there's a big problem with your house. I think you need to come back and check this thing out. Maybe the place you're staying at that you booked is double booked. And the double booking is already there. Or maybe your flight 
is delayed by an hour or two, and then it ends up being delayed by a couple days, and you're not going anywhere fast. That's what I think the religious leaders were thinking. They were ready to celebrate Passover. All the preparations were done. All the people were coming. Everything was on schedule. This was going to be good. They just wanted Jesus to go away. And to be fair, as most of you know, Jesus was a problem for them from the very beginning of His ministry. As I said, John 2 talks about Jesus going into the temple. That's one of the first things that's recorded about Him. He saw people there selling cattle and doves and sheep. and He saw money changers. And He said, no, 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 no. Get these people out of my Father's house. Stop turning it into a market. This was just before Passover had begun, probably three years before this passage that we're talking about. In those three years of his ministry, he continued to explain why the religious leaders were interpreting the law incorrectly. He was a nuisance in the beginning, and he continued to be a nuisance to them. They asked him questions, and they followed him around. They asked him questions in front of his followers, trying to get him to trip up so that he would say something and they can discredit him. But they couldn't. But now, he was an issue that needed to be addressed. They couldn't just keep an eye on him. Because the crowd of followers was growing. And they, the religious leaders, were really concerned that Jesus would attract more and more followers. And the truth is, more of the people that were kind of in their camp. They were afraid he was going to draw people from them. How desperate were they to make this go away or to deal with it? Well, John 12 describes this event that happened just before, just after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and just before Jesus got on a donkey and went to Jerusalem. It tells us a couple important things. They said there was a large crowd of Jews that found out that Jesus was there and they came. Jesus was in Bethany at Martha's house. And they went there. But it says they didn't go there just because of Jesus. They also went to see Lazarus because they wanted to make sure he had risen from the dead and that Jesus brought him back. Maybe this is just some propaganda thing that they're throwing out there to kind of create this problem. That's going to have an impact on our Passover feast. And so, as John 12 continues on, it says, The chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So Jesus' crowd is swelling. It's just getting bigger. They wanted to kill Lazarus because if he was dead, then they could go back and say, Jesus didn't heal him. Jesus didn't bring him back from the dead. So where's the proof? They saw Lazarus as part of the solution of taking care of Jesus. And we all know, by the way, they wanted to kill Jesus. And so they're ready to start the Passover celebration. And they didn't want to deal with Jesus and these fanatical people that were marching along with him. But this is part of God's perfect plan for Jesus. 
And so, as I said before, Jesus was a nuisance. Now, I understand he's a big nuisance. He's a big problem. But he didn't typically take center stage. He didn't stand in the limelight and say, look at me, I'm the king. He didn't demand attention. Many times when he healed people, he said, go away, don't tell anybody. He was flying under the radar because he needed to do this at the right time. If he did stand and, and ask for the attention, if he did stand and say, I healed these people, he probably wouldn't have made it to the Passover feast, which is the perfect timing God had. And so these events during Passover and, and leading up to Passover were God's perfect plan, His perfect timing, and Jesus' perfect submission to His Father. And the time had come. As I said, Jesus wasn't symbolically showing Himself as a king at this point. But things are changing. The perfect plan was to unfold and Jesus was going to be the king. In the first verses of our passage, Jesus arrived in Bethany and He, he told two of the disciples to go and find this colt. Now, the village he was talking about is probably Bethphage, which is between Bethany and Jerusalem. Bethany and Bethphage are two small cities on the Mount of Olives, and you could actually see Jerusalem from either one of those. Now, there's speculation that did Jesus make a prearranged agreement with someone to have that cult there, or was he just omniscient and knew it? I don't know. Did the people that stopped and said, hey, what are you doing with that cult? Were they prearranged? Or, or did they just follow what was told? We don't really know, and I don't think that's important, and I don't know that we're ever going to know this side of heaven whether it was prearranged or not, but I can come to the conclusion that the people that allowed them to take the cult knew that that was Jesus, the Lord, and that they were believers of Jesus. The important thing to know about those things is that was part of the plan. That was part of the fulfillment of Scripture. God's in the details of His plan and it's not chance, it's not luck. And when we don't understand everything about God's plan... Even those things that have already taken place, we get, we get upset. We, we think we need to know it and we start diving into things and sometimes we miss the very obvious things that God's trying to tell us. This was God's plan and it was going to happen. We can't know how everything took place and all the answers that maybe our minds bring up, but we can rest assured that God's plan is good. It's perfect. His timing is perfect. And every detail will be carried out according to His plan. And so we can discern from this passage that we are to follow the Lord's instructions for us. The two people that went to go get the colt did exactly what Jesus told them to do. We're to do the same thing. We read God's Word and we, we're to follow it. We're not to debate it. We're not to offer our opinion and say, well, that's for other people. No, it's for us. It's not our plan, but it's God's plan. 
We can ask God for discernment. We can ask Him for guidance, and He'll provide that. And so this cult in our passage says it was never ridden. And that's important because back then kings didn't ride donkeys and horses that had been ridden by other people. They weren't common work horses or work donkeys that were out in the field that someone said, ah, that's fine, that'll work. No, this was an unridden, new, fine specimen is what they were looking for. It had to be kingly. Jesus was starting to show himself as the king. The kings rode into town on donkeys or horses. It was typical for a, a warring king or a, a king that was coming to take over to, to ride this huge, nice, big stallion, this great beast. Or they took that beast and hooked a chariot to it, and that's what they came in on. But there was a statement made when the king came in. Kings that came in peace came on donkeys. Jesus was coming in peace. And the importance of Jesus riding in on a donkey is from Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 12, which states, the coming king of Zion. Now, Zion is known as the city of God or Jerusalem. Verse 9 starts, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be cut off. And he will speak peace to the nations, and his rule will be from sea to sea and from the river to the end of the earth. Zechariah 9 is a prophecy and a foretelling of Jesus. It says, your king is coming. He's going to be humble. He's going to ride on a donkey. He's going to be priest, bring peace to all nations. He's going to be a peaceful king. He will reign from sea to sea. He's going to reign over everything. This is Jesus, the king, that they knew, the Messiah. In our passage, verse 7 goes on. It says, And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and He sat on it. And many spread cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut. The colt wasn't ridden before, so it wasn't set up. It wasn't, you know, didn't come in a package that they put the, uh, the uh, saddle on them. So people put their coats to make it easier for Jesus. I do think it's it uh, doesn't say it in the Bible, but a new horse or a new donkey, I don't know if I've ever been around them, but they have to be broken to be rode. You just don't sit on top of a donkey or a horse that's never been touched before and think you're going to ride them. But based on the chronological events of this passage, it's likely that Jesus got on a donkey that was never broken. Impossible for us, not impossible for him. So the people were putting their coats, their coats on the ground in front of Jesus. That was a symbol of royalty and submission. The king is above me. I'm going to submit to his authority. And the palm leaves were a symbol of joy, of salvation, of victory. It was a celebration. All these actions recognized 
royalty. They recognized Jesus as the King. Verse 9 continues and says, Those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. They knew who He was. They mentioned David, Father David. They knew He was in the Messianic line. They knew that He was the Messiah. They said, Hosanna in the highest, which is probably the highest praise they could have said when they were singing. Now, Passover, as they were getting towards Passover, was a huge event. It's estimated that there's probably somewhere near 2 million people going to Jerusalem for the Passover. That's a lot of people. And so the crowd that Jesus was with was significant. It wasn't a couple people or even a couple hundred people. That wouldn't make a difference to the people in Jerusalem. They would just look out and see him coming down the road and they wouldn't know that that's a pack of people coming with Jesus. They would just say that's people coming for the Passover. Now, Matthew 21 says it was a very large crowd and John says it was a great crowd. People that have studied this far more than I estimate it to be somewhere between 100,000 and 200,000 people that were around Jesus. And they were singing. They were shouting. I looked up the, the word for shouting and it basically means cry out loud, scream, or shriek. They were putting all their effort into saying, Hosanna. This was a kingly procession of people. This is the way kings would enter into a city. People in front of them, people behind them, they're announcing them, they're singing them, they're praising them. And the trouble part comes where they say, Hosanna. Because Hosanna means save us. Now they knew the teachings of God. They knew Jesus was teaching most of them. They thought Jesus was going to take over Jerusalem then and His followers would be saved from persecution. They saw this as the answer to every one of their problems. All the struggles in life were good. Jesus would soon be the King of the world. He'd take over Jerusalem and reign. He'd put the Romans out of power. They wouldn't be oppressed anymore. He would solve their problems and He was going to make it happen soon. Their life was about to get really good, really fast. At least that's what they thought. The truth is, some of these people that were yelling Hosanna and marching along with Jesus were probably shouting, crucify Him in a few days. Because He wasn't the King they wanted. He didn't deliver them the way they had it in their mind. They didn't hear Jesus saying, I came to serve, not be served. That's not the king they wanted. They wanted a king that was going to come and reign. They didn't hear Jesus saying, I'll be spit on, I'll be flogged, I'll be killed, and I'll be raised in three days. What they heard was, oh, we'll be the one with the one in charge. Our life's going to be good because we're going to be in power and we'll get to do what we want to do. This is great for us. Praise the Lord! 
praise you. They weren't focused on God's will. They weren't focused on the Scriptures. They were focused on their own standing in the world. They were focused on themselves. They didn't understand what type of king he was. They were singing Hosanna, but they were singing, Save us, save us. Not, you're the king, save us. In the passage where it says, He comes, they knew that meant the Messiah. So they weren't confused about who this person was. They were just confused about how He was going to reign. In Luke 19, it tells that his followers began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had witnessed. They were happy for themselves. They were seeing miracles. And they thought the miracles were going to continue. And that was a great benefit for them. And as he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, he looked around at everything. It was late. And then he went back to Bethany. This is where the Gospels aren't completely in sync. If you read Matthew's version of this, it says the city was stirred and people said, who is that? Mark, in keeping with his normal self, not so much. Mark said it was late. Jesus went back to Bethany. But Jesus was making an interest because it was part of the plan and Jesus was looking to see what the current state of the temple was. Because he was going back that week. He was preparing for the rest of Passion Week. And now the stage is set for the rest of the week. God's plan is unfolding. And this passage, as we lead up to Easter, I would suggest you continue reading Mark this week. Pastor Brian will preach on Mark 16 next week. And so read on up. Read about this week as we get to Mark 16. And so there were many who followed Jesus that misunderstood what kind of king he would be. Many saw a king that would solve all the major problems of their life and they praised him for how their lives were going to be different, better. And the question today is, what type of king is Jesus to you? Do you praise him because we have hope that He's going to solve all our problems, our earthly problems, and not just solve them. Solve them the way we want them solved. And when God's perfect plan doesn't conform to our plan, do we turn from Him? Or like some of these people, turn on Him? Or do we praise Him and worship Him in the midst of every single situation we're in? Not for what all, just what He's doing, but because of who He is, a risen Savior who defeated death and paid for our sins. The passage tells of people putting down their coats and, and palm branches in submission to Jesus. And we have the opportunity every single day we live to live a life that's devoted to Jesus, to worship Him, to sing His praises, to submit to Him every single day. Church, we need to submit to Christ and live the life that He modeled for us. 
We need to go be humble servants of Jesus, individually and together. We need to go love people that are unlovable. We need to reach out to people that seem to be unreachable. We need to lend a hand to people that are falling through the cracks, rejected and lost. We need to go help people that are helpless. And we need to serve people who need to be comforted by the love of Jesus just the way we need to be loved by Jesus. And we need to explain the good news of Jesus Christ to the world with those people that he brings in our, in our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it proves itself to be authentic. Thank you that you allow us to know about Jesus and that we can benefit from his selfless act. Thank you that you call us to you and, and we can have everlasting life and we can be forgiven of our sins. And that we don't have to be perfect to get that, Lord. We have to believe in Jesus because he's the only way to you. And we have to repent of our sins, true repentance. We submit ourselves to your authority and confess our sins and our willingness to serve you as humble followers of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.